Because Gary talked a lot about like um, obsession can be good and bad, right? Correct. Yeah. Right. And like you've, I feel like you are well researched. Ash gave me Always. a heads up. She said, "Ali's so well researched." And like, well, I like you, you know, are. you want to you want to know, and just so you get a sense of you too, you know. So that's why we yeah. just said like I'm really relaxed because it is a chat, and you know, as I say, I've heard bits I and bobs that. come up in different podcasts. Yeah. So impressive. I appreciate that so much. Well. Speaking of impressive, I have the wonderful Ali Langdon face to face with me here at Channel Nine. I feel very fancy. Fancy. These suites are nice. Have you seen the room? We put we're in a tiny <laughs> little white box. <laughs> but the but the whole building itself is pretty special. Walking around, yeah. seeing the advertisements. I will say Sydney is always a maze. I found myself doing a few loops to find my way back into the car park, but we made it. This is a particularly hard car park to find. And I knew immediately when I drove in right behind you that it was you in the car because you were driving yeah. so slow and the rest of us tear down to, to B4 <laughs> like it's a racing track. Um, and I thought, I bet this is Bradley. <laughs> mm. I was kind of hoping no one would see my car because on the way up there were cobwebs <laughs> off the side mirror. I parked my car outside at home. We've got well, so one I've space. got cobwebs on mine as well. Okay. I, like I was just there. like, oh God, like it really isn't a good sign of taking care of your stuff. But um, I like Soph to park inside so she doesn't have to go out oh, early in the morning. That's, but that's gorgeous of you. That's me mm. pumping myself up yep. on camera because we are recording. <laughs> um, so good to be here. Thanks so much for doing this. Absolute pleasure. I really like your podcast. I like your style and, and I Appreciate loved it. the guests that you've had on Um particularly last year. It was great. So thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I found out something about you just then. My original belief was that you grew up just a little bit outside of Port Macquarie in Warhope, mm. but you're actually from the Illawarra. Yeah, originally. Yeah. So Doris Avenue, Winuna, and lived there until only until I was seven. And my dad always wanted um, a farm mm. to grow up and... Um, and have space so we moved up to um, a farm in Warhope around then and um, so spent most of our childhood up there but all our family's still in the gong and we see them a fair bit it's a good spot it's a good spot it's to a grow great up. part of the world yeah it's a great part I actually spend a lot of time in Winuna. I was in Winuna this morning really yeah so we Soph and I live in the city in Wollongong mm. like just mm. two minutes south of the city and I find that the city, even now, is a little bit busy for me. I used to be like one of those just super extroverted, out-of-the-box cats who wanted to chat to everyone, mm. bump into a million people in the morning. Mm. And speaking of country life, I feel like my partner has channeled a little bit of country energy into me, where I'm still very chatty and want to say hi to everyone, but I kind of feel like the pace of my mind wants to slow down a little mm. bit at times. You know what that means. You're just, you're just getting old like the rest of us. Yeah, that's probably fair. That's probably fair. You kind of reach a point where it is, um, yeah, the city's great for this, but oh, just the, the peace and quiet and a, and a slightly mm. slower pace lifestyle. There's a lot to like about that. There is a lot to like. And mm. even for me, just like that 15-minute trip north to Winuna, mm. like anywhere between Winuna and Stanwell, which is quite a vast area, like it's probably 30 minutes worth of driving, mm. But it just offers that, especially during the week, like Monday to Friday when people aren't down from Sydney on the beaches, 
It's so calm in the morning. Like I don't. And see how do you feel about Sydney siders coming down and stealing your beaches on the weekend? Look, I'm. They're open to all, right? Because we do the same. We come, come up on, here and be enjoy honest. the city. Yeah, <laughs> there's a little bit of you that doesn't like it. <laughs> there's a little bit of me that doesn't like it when I can't find a park. Yep. You know, it's like, oh. But it's um for me like that's such a beautiful part of the world. Like I particularly, mm. for as long as I can remember, my favorite place in the world has been Ostermere. Right. It's just yeah. something about it, like right on the foothills of the mountain. Yeah. Right on the, the sand. Like it's just, I just feel calm there. And I feel like I can very much vouch for a life in Ostermere, except we need to find the deposit for a $3 million house because <laughs> it's just expensive now. That's a small, now. teeny weeny little problem, isn't it's it? It's just that? a little obstacle. Yeah. But yeah. Whereas yeah. I remember back when, you know, when I was growing up and back then that Ostermere was cheap. Yeah. And you look at all those places now and just go, oh. Why didn't we? If we'd only you know, know. If only we'd know. You know, yeah. we'd be millionaires. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny to me though. So you you moved from the Gong and you moved up to Warhope. Mm. I feel like in Warhope there wouldn't have been. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but there wouldn't have been too many signs of people who were doing similar to what you do now. Like your inspiration would have come from watching programs, if the inspiration was even there to begin with. Like you seem highly ambitious to me. And I, I love that about you. I love that if you track your career, you've gone from field reporter, you know, mm. to the Today Show, a current affair. Like you're at the top of reporting and journalism in Australia and you do an amazing mm. bloody job of it. Like where where is that ambition born? Um, look, I I don't know. And and look def- yeah, definitely ambitious. Um and, and always have been. And it's sort of funny then what's behind it and what drives it. Like, you know, there's, there is definitely that sense that um, that it can all be taken away tomorrow. Um, but going through school, um, I've got an English teacher in year eight, Mr. Roberts, um, who's still alive. And, um, and he remembers me saying in year eight that all I wanted to be was a journalist. Um, I used to love writing and, you know, I wrote this poem one day and took it in to show him and um, he really liked it and he got it included in, like it got published in a, in a book about, you know, I think it was like something about the area and anyway, it was, it was about living in Warhope, this, this poem and living in the bush and um, so he just sort of, you know, it was that first sort of sign that you can do something and it can kind of go somewhere um and I've just always loved English and writing so it's been one of those funny things and I talk to my siblings about it all the time because neither of them had any idea and I'm the middle child but I'm like you know we've never known what we really wanted to do and you were just this annoying kid who just from 12 always knew this is what I wanted to do and never deviated from it so in some ways it kind of makes it easier um and then I was lucky that you know in going to university Charles Sturt in Bathurst um, back then was was the best journalism course you could get into. So it wasn't a big transition going from a small country town. I mean, I thought Bathurst was big because, you know, we didn't have traffic lights, still don't have traffic lights in Warhope. <laughs> um, to like Bathurst was like, you know, it's five sets of traffic lights in mm. town, but it was just a really big country town. So a really kind of easy transition from a small town um, to sort of where, you know, we sort of eventually end up but um I think a lot of it too just comes down to well I'd say luck some of it's luck but also just hard work so I would in every uni break I would um 
just volunteer and do an internship at um, at one of the television stations or like whether it was local, um, you know, MBN up near up near home. And would just always, every holidays when, you know, between working restaurant jobs, because I put myself through uni, um, and then trying to do trying to do that. And so my first job, which was actually Nightline, um, which was the late news here at Channel 9, it wasn't that I had any special skill. I was just in the building at the time, <laughs> you know, and they needed a producer. And I sort of feel like it was almost like, well, she's kind of always sitting there or, you know, just, just, you may as well do it because you're here and it's easy. So, you know, I sort of feel like that was my, my start. It wasn't that, you know, there was any thought that I had anything special or could write or do anything, but um, uh, there you go. No one's going to interrupt our yes, room now. <laughs> we're on, we're on. Um, you know, Is that right where you time. identify as the luck? Yeah, right place, right time. Yeah. yeah. And there's de- look, there's definitely more. You know, a lot of that, what was behind that was a couple of years of just coming in and For sure. being here and doing whatever and sort of saying yes to anything. Um, but that then paying off. Well, I think I've always believed, because I believe in luck and and a lot of the luck that I believe in is because I was afforded some of it early in my life. Mm. But I do believe that to continue to receive luck, like you have to couple that with hard work and persistence. Mm. I don't think you continue to get lucky. No, you can have lucky breaks in it. And I think, um, yeah, my whole thing is just if I just work harder than everyone else, then you'll get there. And, and I, I don't think I wasn't a naturally talented journalist. Um, you know, at, at university I had mates who were, much better than like sounded better as as a as a broadcaster. Probably mm. Voice was a bit light, um, and and I remember one of my early bosses telling me I needed to drink a lot more whiskey and smoke cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't take that advice, um, or maybe the whiskey, a bit of whiskey, but uh, not the cigarettes. Um, but just sort of just stuck with it, and probably took the long road with it so you know a lot of mates who sort of made it quicker but I, I you know I you know the fact that I'm sort of you know I'm 44 doing a current affair now um I did 60 minutes for 10 years um but sticking with that for 10 years and the skill set that you know that, that I took from that was you learn a lot and mm. So spending time in each job that I did, um, I found really helpful. Um, so I sort of feel like it's been a real slow burn kind of getting to this place, but I've never felt like I wasn't moving or wasn't moving forward. Like I'm yeah, still I learning, that. still learning stuff. And, you know, I think the day that you, you reckon you've nailed your job and know how to do it is the day you should quit because you can always be better. All of us can. It doesn't matter what we do. So, you know, it's important to look back at, you know, interviews you do or, I mean, you probably do it with podcasts and when you listen back sure. and then you go, okay, am I, what could I, have, could I have done this or this? And, you know, like you're constantly doing that so that um, for nothing else, you don't get bored. I love that. You raised something before, which I was super keen to talk about. Mm-hmm. The reporter's voice. Oh, yeah. You know, you touched on the whiskey and the cigars thing. Mm. And I don't know if you know Jack Archdale. 
more, I guess, more well known as Jarchi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So Jarchi <laughs> has one of those whiskey and c- cigar mm. voices, and he admits to having a few um, shots of whiskey and a few cigars in his day. But he has one of those deep, raspy voices. When we recorded the podcast, I was like, I could almost not put your name on this. And people Just let you speak exactly. and people will know who, who it is. Yeah. But the reporter's voice is something I've always been confused as to whether it's a show voice or whether it's your actual voice. But I feel like it's your actual voice. You've got a great voice. Well, I think you eventually reach that point where you just... Speak, speak normally as, as kind of like Austin do. Butler. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that almost works. Exactly, right? exactly. But in those in the early days, sure, it's like you know you come in and you're in your early twenties and you walk into a place like Nine and and there are your Yanas, your Tracys, your Liz Hayes, your, your Tara Browns, and you look at what they do and it's like oh yeah, I've got to be grown up like them and and you do you in it it was. It took years to kind of just relax because as soon as you're also trying to do a voice, you sort of, you get uptight. So everything kind of, so everything then goes up as well Mm. and and it just doesn't work. I listened to some of my early 60 stories and they're some of the best beautiful like picture yarns or like, you know, with bears or in a volcano or with great white sharks and they're cool, but then I can't stand listening to my voice (laughs) because I feel like I'm trying to, I'm still playing grown ups. Yeah, yeah, okay. So you almost mature into the voice. And you just become comfortable in your own skin. And, yeah. and you know, the, I talk to a lot of the, you know, the younger guys with, um, with their scripts and things. And it's like, you know, the language that they use. It's like, mate, you're not going to use that language if you're sitting opposite your friends at the pub telling them what you just did today. So mm. the way you sit there and tell your mates at the pub is, is how you put it in a script and how you deliver it as well so you're not Mm. trying to sound like someone else and people can tell you that a million times it just eventually one day it finally clicks or you're kind of comfortable enough to go just just be you when do you think it clicked for you during my years at 60 um, and probably not till I sort of felt I had a hang of what the job was and and how to do it where I then just felt comfortable that no actually I do I do Mm deserve to be here and and there was a bit at the start because I was only 30 when I started 60 minutes um which was which was young and I'm walking in and and you know all those names again that I'm you know that I I talked about before um not even just the reporters um all the producers who were you know in some ways in my mind even more famous than the journos because Mm. they'd been there for a long time and were you know brilliant and so it's like oh, I remember the first time there's a wonderful wonderful human Howard Saker and he's the most lovely man and um, so good beautiful writer of just being utterly terrified first time going out and working with him it's thinking he's gonna think I'm an idiot he's gonna, you know like I'm not smart enough I'm not you know this or I'm not blah 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 and um Man, you know, that's when your voice goes up because, you know, <laughs> you're thinking about all the wrong things and, um, you know, you just got to get, you know, well, you know, like you get out of your own head mm. and sometimes just you need to remind yourself, this is not about me, you know, and, sure. and I think sometimes we get so caught up in our own performance and it's because we want to do a good job, so it makes sense why, but as soon as you just remember, this is not about, this is about whoever I'm sitting opposite 
and telling their story and and as soon as you're out of your own head and you're not thinking about your own performance you're thinking about the person opposite you and that's one of the things you know I work at the Today Show with the producers when they sort of they'd write scripts and questions it's like I don't care what your question is but wh- like, what do you want the answer to be so you know you might write mm. okay that's it that you probably think that's a clever question and it is where do they go with the answer? And if they don't go anywhere, then it's not a good question. So sometimes, you know, your best questions are really, really simple ones. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's every time I ask a question, it's about what am I, what do I, what do I want to get out of this? Um, which sounds straightforward, right? Mm. But weirdly, as journos, you, you some, we sometimes try to get a bit too clever and, uh, you know becomes again about us as opposed to who you're interviewing it's a bit of a trap isn't it and i even like i picked this up in myself maybe like early parts of last year where there was this i don't know if you 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 maybe even call it like this sense of desperation where i was so keen to make this my career and Mm. to establish myself in the podcast space and be great at it and be recognized as great at it that every time i sat down for an interview there was almost this headspace of this has to change my life. Yeah. Like so you're thinking in, about you. Correct. Yeah. And then so you sometimes talk about yourself too often. Yeah. Which had become such a pet peeve when I listen back in the edit, like, why are you telling that same story? Or like, why are you repeating that? And it's different when a guest asks something that's mm. relevant to the conversation you're having. Mm. But just too many times I was trying to impress potentially who would listen because of them. And yep. I was like, this is so not why I do it. And, and so, like, it all releasing, makes sense to yeah, me what you're you saying. You have to release yourself from that. It's almost like these shackles of like you feel like you're in it, and it's always got to be profound. Mm. It's like sometimes, like you said, the best stuff is is simply a conversation, an interview, mm. where the guest gets to shine, mm. and like that's the purpose of the platform. Mm. I almost think that to, like the best um, recipe. To, to get it right is you do all your research and I'm detail. Mm. I do I do all of that. But when you get to the actual moment, don't try. Don't try, because as soon as you start trying, you know, just just relax and don't try. Which you know, because then that's natural. Um, if you've got it all there, you know, I don't mean like don't try the whole way through. Like you know, don't come in not having a bloody clue what you're going to talk about. But if you've done all that prep and research, then it's just, just relax, don't think about it, don't try. Mm. And that's your best content, I find. Yeah, because I feel like you're actually in it. Like yeah. you're sitting there, you're listening. Mm. And I find that like, I've because I've tried a few different approaches, and which I'm sure you have over the course of your career too. And there were times where I'd sit down and I'd have like a bit of an agenda for how I wanted the conversation to run. Yeah. And I'd go, okay, well, I'm super researched here today and I'm going to ask this, this, this and this. And it just felt so clunky and unnatural mm. and almost like I wasn't there. Mm. Like literally I could have recorded my questions on a bloody script and put it through AI yeah. and like let it roll. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, know what I want to know about the guest. And then when I step in and I'm present and I'm curious, mm. that's when I do my best work. Yeah. And so I agree with you so much. And that's such a fun place to interview from mm. where you get to fully enjoy the moment of being in it. Mm. I always find like your best interviews are one where I've, I've prepped and I might sort of have an idea of where an interview is going to go. 
and I get to the end, it's like I haven't asked a single thing I thought I was going to ask. That's when I yeah. know I've, you've got a good story because it just – you're listening and you're going where they go and, you know, and so you know that they're talking about something they're interested in and you're going to get great content. Mm. So interesting to me, right? So if you talk about the arc of your career – and like particularly I think people were I remember the first time that I ever seen your face and heard your voice on telly it would have been 60 minutes mm. like many years ago and then obviously the Today Show and ACA is like those three places where I've seen you prominently doing your work and they're all kind of different in their mm. own rights and so it, it begs the question of there's a reason behind every one of them but what are the things you've enjoyed about each of those experiences? And then what's been the reason to change? So I remember when I got 60 Minutes and um, I was being interviewed about it and someone said, oh, you know, so you're 60, like what, what, what next? And I just remember thinking, what do you mean? Like this is the only job I've ever wanted in my life. It's the, I don't know anything else I want to do beyond that. And, and which is why I, I was on the show for 10 years and, um, and then... Today's show came about, um, I'd also had kids and so I was, it was getting pretty tricky. I had um, my first son and he, when I was about seven years into the show, so he would come with me on the road and we made that work. It was stressful, but yeah, I mean, it was fine. It was fun and it was great and I had this great ability to just forget all the bad things and just remember good. <laughs> and so I forget about, you know, him overseas and, and you know, sleeping all day and being awake all night and having, you know, all that kind of stuff. But um, it just sort of naturally morphed then that, you know, speaking to to bosses here that it, it wasn't, I'd sort of reached that point where I wasn't enjoying it as much because I was taking my little girl Scout, who was, you know, baby who I was feeding on the road, but I'd leave Mackie, my two-year-old at home. And he was in that yeah, it was like I couldn't go to the bathroom or go to work for the day or leave his site because sometimes I'd leave and I'd take his little sister and I might be gone for a week or two weeks mm. or I might just be gone for an hour. But obviously it doesn't have the ability to understand that. So it just sort of reached this point of like, oh, I, just, I hate leaving him. And, and you know, I've been 10 years on the show and the Today Show stuff, I was doing weekends originally. And then it just sort of all kind of naturally happened at sort of the perfect time. The only one I'd say wasn't probably perfect timing was uh, was a current affair. Um, I probably would have liked two more years on the Today Show. Um, just that we built a really solid team, loved, mm. loved the guys and and just sort of really felt like last year was going to be, be our year and we'd sort of overcome some hurdles and we, this clear run. But then when you're asked to do a current affair, um, you know, it, it's, as I say, I would have loved it, wanted it, but just like, you know, I remember saying to Tracy, it's like, do you reckon maybe like just two more years, Trace? Like, I don't know, like, you Can know, you just, just two more years. She's going, I'm done, Ali. No, no, I'm done. I've had it. Um, because, and I think, you know, feeling guilty about leaving the, the team in the morning too, we'd, we'd built this really solid mm. team and, all really close, um, genuinely close, close outside of work. And, um, and you know, thankfully, as to this day, I still am with them. But, um, you know, didn't want to sort of let them down. But at the end of the day, and Carl was great with this too, it's like, 
you know, A, the hours are different and, and there's, and this you can do for a lot longer. So mm. in my mind, like two years down the track and, but he just said to me, okay, so how do you then feel if you don't say yes now in two years when you really want it and that's when you're ready for it, but someone that's in that, might be in that chair for 10, 15 years and that opportunity is missed. So mm. the timing wasn't perfect, but it was the perfect job. And it's, um, and what I've loved probably most about it, I almost feel like I'm combining what I did at Today Show with 60 Minutes. I'm out on the road shooting lots of stories, which I love, and I did miss a bit when I was doing the Today Show. Um, but you still got, you know, the live element where you're in studio and it's not quite four hours every morning, and <laughs> but there's also not a 3 a.m. alarm clock. Um, and, and I just love, love the show. So I feel like everything is kind of, the timing has been right or close to being right for each of them. And now that I'm in Acker, it's like, I can't imagine doing anything else now. This is perfect. I love to hear that. And, you know, we spoke about being well-researched before. I feel like I'm researched on you because of your super producer, Ash. <laughs> she gave me... she taken all the credit. <laughs> no, to, to be honest, she told me, don't tell Ali I've told you all this. Oh, because she's like, I want you to f feel super researched, but I'd feel like a phony if I made out that I knew this just from mm -hmm. um, research. So I've got to give her a credit where it's due. That's fair. She's very good, by the she's, way. She's super dialed in. Her work ethic's insane. Mm. The time that she texts me back from like messages I've sent is just wild. So she's always mm. on the clock. But she told me that the original host of A Current Affair is actually your father-in-law, Mike yeah. Willis Senior. Yeah. Isn't that a funny little thing? I know. It was um, – I really, and I actually – I had my daughter scout in the office on Friday, actually. Um, it was just a babysitting drama. So she came in with me, and, and I've got this lovely video um, on my phone of her sitting on my lap um, saying, hello, I'm scout Heather Willisy. Welcome to A Current Affair. And, and then I found – an old clip of my husband's father, so so Mike Willisy, say you know hello, you know I'm Mike mm. Willisy and welcome to a current affair kind of thing, and just to have because obviously I don't have the I don't I didn't take the Willisy name, but just to have like you know it was just really really special having her in the chair and just hearing yeah. someone say that Willisy name again <laughs> sitting cool. in the Acker office. That's so, very cool. Yeah, it was really nice. So. So what do you love about A Current Affair? Because I would say that from my outsider's perspective, mm. the difference between today's show is it's sort of shorter, sharper moments where you're kind of, I guess you're the conductor of the orchestra mm. in a way. Like you, you have your moments obviously on air, but you're always moving things to and fro, different segments, bringing different people mm. in. Current Affair, you're, you know, you're creating the story. You're there, you're interviewing. It's a deep emotional dive into a subject, a topic, a person. Is there mm. something about that that you love in particular? Uh, yeah, I, I do. And I, I've got this, this beautiful story um, that I've just filmed with a 101-year-old lady. Wow. They're all, and she's just, she wrote love letters to her, sort of her beau during, mm. for five years during the war. Some of it, he was um, prisoner of war, World War II. Um, and they're all being transcribed because he, he brought back all his copies um, wow. And so he passed away 10 years ago, but she's 101. She's got all the marbles and she's mm. just this oh, delightful woman. 
I sat down with her last week and, and she's donating all of their love letters to the War Memorial. And, um, How cool is that? And, and they're just so lovely to read. And it's like, you know, my dearest mm. dot, because that's what he mm. used to call her. And so I love that story. And, and what I love about Acker is we can kind of do anything. And, you know, like tonight our lead story is a dodgy tradie who's, we've, you know, we've helped mm. get him locked up and, you know, now he's actually going to jail, which is good. Um, we do all that, but we do heartfelt. We, we can kind of, the show can be sort of anything, but we also get results for people. Um, you know, people where where something's happened and, and the bank's not treating them well. And there's a real power in calling and going, hi, it's a current affair. Mm. And just how often we get results. Um, it was last night, there was one that had an issue with their bank and we called and, and you know, and we've got to give credit to them when, when they do step up and do the right thing and, and help them out. But we might be getting involved when they're 18 months into a fight. But that's the power of the brand too. That for sure. you know, we, we stand up for people, um, and not everyone can afford when there's an issue to bring in lawyers mm. or or will even know how to take on their bank or the language that they should they should use. So, you know, we always get it's it's fantastic how we get results. Or um, one of my favourite stories has been with Nikki Tadros, who's the little boy who was injured in the Seawood helicopter mm. crash. Um, he lost his beautiful mum. But him and his dad, Simon, have um, gone through such a tough time that, you know, we organised, we just sort of put the call out. And then next thing you know, we've got free medication for however long, you know, free groceries, mm. people offering to come around and clean their house. It just, you know, all those things to, to help them out and get them through this really, really tough time. There's this wonderful audience and, 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 and sort of viewers that we have that, um, that will step up. And often, you know, sometimes we'll get really big, like, hey, look, I just want to help them and pay for all of that. Mm. But often it's... Um, you know, it might be grandma going, look, I've only got this, but I'd love to send in $20 to, to help with this and that and people giving what they do. Or, you know, with Nikki Tadros, we had school kids giving, wanting to give all their pocket money. And for me, like that's, that's what makes the show worthwhile. It's a great reminder that there are far more good people out there than there are bad. And sometimes, and probably a lot of it comes back to, to, to the industry I work in and what we cover, we always hear the bad news. Mm. Um, and sometimes it's nice just to celebrate good people doing good things. And we often do that on the show. Yeah, I love that. There's such a purpose behind it, right? Mm. And I feel like any time you can connect a greater purpose of helping people to the work that you do, it feels mm. special. Yeah. Like in those stories, like when you actually get the depth of a story, mm. it really has the power to do that. Yeah. Like I'm that's one of the things I'm so blessed to do this show mm. because the people you connect with and some of the messages as I'm sure like you just touched on you receive mm. you just think far out like this this is more than a show to some people. Mm. Like well, most to, of our story ideas come from people emailing in. Mm. You know, a, a lot of the stuff I mean we, you know we are, we're the best journos who go and they find a lot of stuff but also 
we get so we receive so many emails about so many different things um, um, and I think it's because the show's real mm. and you know the show can sort of be anything we want it to be but um, you talk to any of, of the journos and um, on who, who work for this show like everyone cares everyone gets fired up and you know we get mad about stuff and 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 you know and fight for people and and you often see I mean I, I've done this for years and most of the journos do as well you keep um, you keep in touch with I me mean, not everyone obviously you, you can't but there are a lot of you know really special cases and and stories that you do where you stay in touch with people for years and years and years you know, it's interesting. I watched this morning your story with Professor. Is it Professor Scolia? Yeah, Richard Scolia. Yeah. Isn't he a, oh, an extraordinary human? Just an incredible story. And I'd heard his story. I'd actually seen stuff pop up on, on social media from you guys a while back when that was mm. recorded. And like just watching that story and I could see how much it affected you. Mm. Like I could see, you know, your eyes starting to get a little bit teary and... Like I can imagine for you to be able to sit in that seat and hear those stories, it's very reaffirming of some of the things that are really important in life. Yeah. Like what are some of the stories that for you when you step away and like you take the mic off and you go home and you settle in for the night that have had an impression on the way that you live your life and maybe even change the way that oh, you approach life? I mean... I even just look at this year and we're only we're not we're not far into sort of filming this year and down in country Victoria filming with Dr. Ash Gordon's family and he's the the 33 year old doctor there was a home invasion an alleged home invasion and he jumped in his car and and he ended up being stabbed multiple mm. times once in the heart and died on, on the yeah, street man, 100 he? meters from me a doctor a man who you know he's he's dedicated his life to saving others and I you know I remember walking in to meet his family um all in the backyard so his four siblings and their partners and his parents and I think there was also something too about his parents it just kind of resonated having grown up where I did and my folks that just mm. um you know I walked around the corner and yeah you're meant to be professional I just saw his mum and burst into tears and gave her mm. a big hug um because you know and then and then you you know you, you film with them and then you leave and there's this you know there's also this sense of guilt and you know I've found I've found it before when you do things like bushfires and floods where mm. and you go in and people have lost everything and and you know, these of these really deep connections that, that you, you kind of almost create in over something that's sort of that's so tragic and then you get in your car and we drive home and then and then there's that guilt of like well my house is still standing um my family's safe my family's well and and you know what you're leaving and 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 that process that that family or that community um still has to go through um but i also think feeling like that and having it makes you better at the job like I cry like I'm 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 <laughs> procrastinating sometimes but you know you're sitting so opposite somebody who's going through something that you you can barely imagine um you just you just feel for them you know mm. and 
yeah, you cry along, cry along with them. Sometimes Ash my producers, the stories, will often watch them and just go, Ash, Hayley, I can't hear their answer over. I can only hear as you go <laughs> and sewing, <laughs> like you know. And you got to be careful of that because you just you know. Sometimes if you cry too much, then all of a sudden you're a real distraction to it. So yeah. you've got to try and control it that way. But I don't think I don't have an issue these days in showing that emotion. I just think it's real and shows that you care and that you know you have a heart. Yeah, I love that. I think you you know it's funny that I'm an emotional cat. Mm. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm prime for a bit of emotion. <laughs> and I love what you said about it shows that you care because there was this great scene. I've spoken about it. I think I spoke about it on one of the podcasts I done in Melbourne last week. Yeah. I don't know if you watch Boy Swallows Universe. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That scene where um, the little kid who's incredible. Amazing. What amazing. What a talent. I know. I know. What a talent. Where He's going to be that... a superstar. He already is. Yeah. Where did he come from? Like, yeah. And how do you just have that ability to... And I thought that was also a great adaptation of the book. I haven't read the book. Oh, what but do you I'm mean? Asked. You've always got to read the book before you watch it. I will say, and maybe this is a bit of a, a limiting belief, I'm a bloody hopeless reader yeah. because I get so distracted. Okay. Like, okay. But I love to listen. So I often listen to books, mm. but I feel like I should start reading because it will get me off my phone more. Yeah. And I've actually like kind of half written a book. So hang I'm on, like, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Back this <laughs> up a bit. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. So... Don't read books because you're too distracted and you can't stick with it. <laughs> However, you have written half a book. So explain yes. that to me. I love writing. So this is so weird. I love writing, but I often struggle to sit and read. Mm-hmm. And it's something about, for me, I think the greatest books I've read, I've enjoyed more in audio form because of the emotion that you can put into spoken word. Yeah. So like I love Matthew McConaughey's book. Because just hearing like a bit of like, that oh, voice, right, right, right. Right. you're just like something about that that's special. Yeah. Will Smith's book was the same where it was mm. almost this performance. Mm. Like, it was great. Like there was times where he'd break in a rap, he'd sing the Fresh Prince song. There was production and beats and like yeah, okay. there's something special about hearing the author's voice. Yep. And even like, even if you get an amazing narrator, I always mm. preferred even a, a roughly spoken, sometimes stuttering, sometimes bumpy author yep. who spoke emotion into their own words. There's something powerful about that. Then having someone Correct. brought in. Not so connected. I love that. I love hearing a story from that person's perspective. Okay. But I have I have read my fair share of books. Um, mm. But I, m- I must read Boy Swallows Universe because I'd love to interview Trent Dalton. I think he'd be an incredible yeah. storyteller. And a brilliant journalist. Yes, Trent. so I heard him on Gary Jubilant's show. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah, and really loved it. Mm. Um, found him quite funny. And I found him to be one of those characters that I get on with where he's not trying to be cool. He's like mm. kind of like a little bit awestruck that he's in the room with this person. <laughs> and I'm like, I like that. He's, he's real. He's honest. Yeah. Um, and his books, I mean, Boy Swallows Universe was the first one I've read. It. I think it's all My Shimmering Skies. Anyway, it's about... Um, set in Darwin, a little girl who's like the daughter of a, a grave digger, and it's pretty, it's it's beautiful. It's it's mm. you know, but as his books are like you, and then his last one is Lola in Mirror, um, which, which I've I, been seeing public like sort yeah. Of promoted so I read it over Christmas break, and my and I just like but would cry and sob 
to the point where my nose gets entirely blocked. And my husband's just like, why are you persisting with this book? Like, it, it's like, I don't understand. It's like, and then I literally go to bed and I have to sit up straight because I can't breathe through my nose and go to sleep. My eyes are red and they're still gritty in the morning. It's yeah. like, what on earth? I'm going, I know, but I know what he's like and I know it's going to have this amazing mm. ending. But it was pretty dark and, and very Trent, but such a, and then I finish it and I give it to a mate going, you must read this. It's amazing. My husband's like, it looked like torture reading that, but yeah. he's got a beautiful way with words. And he does. I and love that he's Australian. Oh, I, lo- I love that so much. And I just love that scene of the show where the little boy breaks down in tears and um, Lyle, his stepdad, just says, you know, you cry because you care. Mm. And, and I love that. And so I had a moment on Friday. I'd been in Melbourne all week and I was tired, so maybe that had something to do with it. But I spoke at uh, Kaima High School with one of my best mates, Brett, who's an incredible speaker too. And we spoke to this group of year 11 students, there's about 130 of them, and we Mm. shared like a joint keynote where we both shared parts of our story. And it's particularly centered around resilience, this Mm -hmm. idea of understanding the power of purpose, embracing and harnessing that in your life, and then setting some goals that are aligned with that. And then how like coping strategies and support systems can really help you along the way as you face those bits of adversity. And it's interesting because school students are always hard to gauge, right? Like at that age in particular, they were 16 or 17, Mm. these kids, there's 130 of them. And so as you look out into the room, you see 130 students and you almost see them as a group. Yep. And we spoke for 45 minutes. They went to a 40 minute lunch break. They come back and we done like a live Q and A for half an hour. And then we done like a bit of a whiteboard presentation around purpose, mm-hmm. goal setting. Were you peppered with questions in that in um, that half hour? It's always funny. You get a few, but Start you get the slow. very broad questions. So my mate Brett was attacked by a bull shark. You mm. always get, how big was the shark? Yeah. What type of shark was it? You get those questions for me like, how does it feel to run a marathon with bleeding lungs? Like you get the very mm. surface level fun questions, yep. which we love to answer. But then at the end, we stayed around for probably an hour. And we had probably 40 students come up to ask private questions. They're the good questions, right? The really deep ones. And you can Mm. almost get the sense of they approach you and they're kind of looking around to see who's around them. Mm. And when they get their moment with you, they're so honest and vulnerable. Yeah. And like I had these three kids, these three beautiful kids, like break down in tears Mm. and just ask me the most gut-wrenching questions and share like real hardships from their life. And we spent probably an hour chatting to a bunch of these kids and yeah. Brett was sort of over, over there, I was over here. So we had really like private moments with them. And I left and I called Soph and I was just like, couldn't help but cry on the way home because I was like, mm. I genuinely think we saved a life today. And yeah. like it was so raw and so emotional. Mm. And I was like, we can never take for granted how lucky we are to do that. Mm. And I just see so much of that in your role as well, like how intimately you can connect with someone Mm. and not even the person that you're doing the story on but someone in the audience who can see themselves in the person who's been represented in that story Mm. and like I think that is the most special thing about storytelling interviewing is it can it can actually change people's lives where that goes I mean you imagine you standing in front of that room and and yes there's 130 sets of eyes looking at you and then someone at the end comes up and shares something so deeply personal and, and, as you say, potentially saved a life that day. 
who else in that room knew that that person was going through something? Mm. Yeah, perhaps nobody, perhaps no one. And and applying what you're saying there to, to sort of to what I do, when I started at a current affair, my boss Fiona said, "What? Okay, what what topics? What's important to you?" Um, I do a lot of stuff with IUK Day, which I've done from the day of its um, inception, but also domestic violence. DV is a big one. So we we basically our whole first show was domestic violence, um, which was you know brave. And then we're going, gosh, are we being silly here? Like you know, we're, we're sort of not that a current affair doesn't touch that stuff, but we're making a really big statement mm. with it. And for me, it was well when I started as a journo. Um, I remember one story where um, I was sent out from the newsroom. It's like, oh, there's been a murder. You know, head out and, you know, I'm on my way driving there with the camera crew. I get the phone call. No, come back to the office. Don't worry. It's, it's, it's just DV. Um, we never used to report domestic violence. And it was that idea what happens behind closed doors. And it was very similar with suicide. We didn't touch suicide. Mm. Um, but the guidelines were around that were also that, you know, that you don't touch it. And then it just reached a point where we're sort of going, well, hang on. Okay, we're not talking about it, but it's not getting any better. And I think the issue with domestic with suicide was always that, well, if you talk about it, it encourages it. I mean, the guidelines around how we do it are obviously very, very strict. If you don't talk about it, you don't fix it. And it's that same thing with domestic violence, what happens behind closed doors. And, and just in that first story we did, the emails that came and the number of people who... Um, I was doing a story, I was filming with the police um, in southwest Sydney and it was around domestic violence stuff. Just people we met who could recount that that first story. And I think because it sort of it got it got headlines because it was our first show and we'd gone so hard on domestic violence, it was that okay, this is important, we're gonna really focus on it. We've done a whole bunch of stuff throughout the year. That stuff when people when it, when it sort of sticks in people's minds like that. And then you hear these stories of it just, oh, it just made me realise, um, oh, I'm in a domestic violence situation. I didn't even realise, you know, like they can, often people can see it with someone else, but they can't see exactly the same mm. scenario that's when it's happening to them. Um, but this particular story, a couple of people reach out and going, that's me, you know, mm. and then do do something in trying to help themselves to get out of it or or to ask for help and and you know that, that that's just pretty important in the job we do and I also think it's a responsibility we have 100 percent well, I had this conversation with um it'll be in kind of like part two of a podcast that comes out a bit later in the year with Keisha Pettit she's a wonderful mm. podcast producer from Sydney and we spoke in two parts about her story and then we spoke about domestic violence, which just kind of got brought up as a topic um, off the Did back of some discussion. Did you chat to her last year? I, I spoke chat, to, her, to her. I spoke to her a couple of weeks ago. A couple um, of well, weeks ago. It was last year. We sat down to okay. record, um, but we released it two weeks ago. Incredible yes. oh, okay. human being. Incredible mm -hmm. human. Mm. And we kind of just got onto the topic of domestic violence um, off something that was brought up in the pod to become relevant. And I said to Keisha, I said, as a man, it strikes me that enough men, or well, not enough men, are calling out 
the shit behavior they see in their mates. Mm. Like that has to be a responsibility of any good bloke. Mm. Like if you see something, you have to be courageous enough to pull your mate's head in. Absolutely. And say, mate, that's not right. Like don't speak to someone like that. Don't treat Mm. someone like that. Mm. Because otherwise it's enabled. Like if you let something fly in front of you, you've enabled it. Mm. And not everyone's in a position where they're confident enough to call something out. Yeah. And I'm not suggesting that people put themselves in, in danger if they're not capable. But I often think, like, how do you let, how do you watch someone speak to someone like that? I wouldn't mm. let someone speak to anyone like that no. in public, mm. let alone to their partner. Mm. Like, it's just, and I think that's why those stories are so important. And it is, I'd say, arguably one of the most taboo topics in media because mm. it's, just, it's rarely brought up. And so Ash actually well, told me. it's also so broad. Like it's, it's also Correct. like it's, I think there was something like, like in New South Wales alone last year, 47,000 AVOs were granted in relation to domestic violence. 27,000 of those orders were breached. Mm. Yeah. And that, that's a hard thing. So I actually bumped into a friend of mine from Wollongong. Her name's Stacy, and she started an incredible organization called Escobags. And Esker bags is essentially these escape bags that are stocked at different retailers, pubs, places all around Australia, where if you're a woman um, with or without children and you Mm. need to flee the home, you can go to one of these places and grab a bag that'll give you the necessities to get through the next couple of days. And she's a survivor of domestic violence, a very, not that any situation is worse than the other, but Mm. a very, very violent case of dv over in the uk and just has this incredible story about how she's found a way to australia and all that she's overcome but i remember doing a charity auction at an event in wollongong for Escobags, and i remember just standing in the crowd and just hearing a story and just thinking as a bloke who like loves his partner mm. loves his sister loves his mum, like mm. loves all the women in his life to think that anyone could treat a woman like that or anyone would treat anyone that they respect or love in their life Mm. like that Mm. it's just like it's so sad but and and look and that's i'm you know in a similar situation to you where i'm surrounded by brilliant men who were who love their families who Mm. would never raise you know their voices let alone you know Mm. a fist um but then you look at a lot of the, the issues you then see with domestic violence, drugs are often involved. Mm. Um, often too, it, it's generational. It, it's it's you grow up in a household and and it impacts you know little boys and little girls. You know little boys because typically not always but typically it's, it's the men who are violent and the and the women who are who are the victims. Um, these little boys grow up and. Um, they go, well, that's how you treat women. And these little girls grow up going, oh, that's how I will be treated or deserve to be treated. Um, I did a story for 60 Minutes and um, uh, obviously a few years ago, and it was a woman who'd been brave enough to leave a, a violent situation with the kids. And then her son in his teenage years became the abuser. So he, because he'd spent all these years just seeing, oh, that's how mm. dad, what dad did, 
So he was really, really violent. So she was trying to get help for him to, because she had two little kids who were terrified of him. He'd hide from him when he'd come home. And um, he was a teenage boy, you know, and I think just dealing with, and look, he's, he's in a really good space now, mm. which, which is great. But for her, it's like, I've escaped this, but I can't escape it. Now, you know, now my son is the one mm. abusing me. Um, and it was really powerful that they agreed to, to tell their story and, and um, you know, you almost had to like recondition this guy because it's all he's ever known. Um, how you show love, how you express anger. Um, That's such a challenging position too because I often find the hard thing with this topic is I used to be very much of the mindset, if I ever seen that behaviour... Mm. that person would be cut out of my life. Mm. And then I remember hearing a conversation. I can't exactly remember where I heard it, but I heard this gent saying a few things that I thought were really valid. He said, men who express violence like that often do it because they don't know how to articulate how they feel. So firstly, we need to like encourage and teach men how to communicate, Mm. which Typically speaking, men aren't great at communicating their feelings, mm. right? And so that's something we need to be better at, especially with young men, like mm. from an early age. The other thing is he said, isolating an offender only pushes them further down that path. Yeah. And so how do we, how do we express that it's completely wrong, but mm. try to change that behavior so mm. they don't compete, they don't com- um, continue to re-offend? And I thought that was such an interesting conversation of like, I'm so blessed that I'm surrounded by mm. bloody unbelievable mates, had an incredible father, like mm. incredible men in my life who stand for all the right things. Mm. But I thought if it ever come across a character like that, it'd be a really hard line to walk between, of course, first calling it out, but secondly, yeah. how do you try Help to steer them. them in the right direction? Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the, the problems that, that we look at like when dealing with DV. It's that, okay, we're, we're focused on, on, on victims, which, which we should be. We need to have, you know, if someone's brave enough to, to get up and get out of a, mm. a violent situation, they must be somewhere they can go. 100%. Always. And we don't have that. We just, we just don't have that, that safe place for them to, for, for enough, you know, victims to go to. Um, I should call them survivors more than victims. But, um um, but then also, what are we doing to, 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 and it's, and it's, it's less palatable to people. I think it's like, no, 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 mm. we help the women and all, but like, well, they're, they're shit guys. They're this, you know, just lock them up mm. and do, or, we need programs to, it's for exactly that point that maybe they've never grown up having any idea how to express whatever it is they're feeling. Um, and this isn't making excuses for, no, for correct, any of that yeah. behavior but it's like if we're not also trying to fix this then you kind of got to you got to got to do both at the same time well i often think so I, I had a stat pop up last year that made this compl- and this is i think where i got to this point in conversation with keisha yeah. is a stat off the back of i can't remember and i feel terrible that i can't remember the, the name of this lady um but who was unfortunately murdered by her I think a boyfriend she'd just been seeing. She was a young teacher from Sydney or a young um, childcare worker from Sydney. 
Was it Lily someone? Yeah, that was, it was Lily James, who was a, a young teacher at St Andrews mm. College in Sydney and who'd broken up with a, with a boy. Yeah, and, and murdered. Like, mm. And it's just such a sad story. I think she was, you know, in her early 20s. Mm. And it was so for my partner who shared with me some of the stats that come out on the news after that, that one in three women report that they'd either been physically, um, verbally or emotionally abused by Mm. their partner. And I remember just being in utter disbelief, Mm. like, nah, surely that's wrong. And Sophie's like, I'm telling you, that's right. And I went and had a conversation with a couple of my mates about it after. Mm. And one of my mates was like, you think about all the cases that aren't reported and like how bad this, this probably is likely Mm. is. And I remember sitting and thinking, so if it's one in three women, does that mean one in three men? I thought, no, it's not one in three men are a part of the problem, but it's the, the few that are who continue, continue, continue to reoffend. Yeah. Because it's not stopped. The cycle isn't broken. Like mm. they're broken men who continue to try and break other people in the process of, of going through their own insecurity, challenges, whatever it is mm. that's happening in their own life. And I just think we have to do such a better job. And, and obviously it's not a simple solution. There's no simple solutions to these very complex problems, mm. but surely we can take steps in the right direction. Mm. And that's why I think, you know, part of what I can do is have conversations as a bloke yeah. on podcasts yeah. about the behavior that should be called out. Mm. I, I, the New South Wales assistant police commissioner, Stuart Smith, who I filmed with during a domestic violence story the other week, is he, look, he said, look, DV is as, probably as old as Adam and Eve. And Mm. while people have relationships, while there are human relationships, there will be domestic violence. But, you know, Mm. there needs to be a heck of a lot less. There are ways we can do a lot more and we need to be smarter in how we pick who are the, you know, who we target and, and, and how we approach the problem. But that just goes to the size of the problem you're dealing with. When you're talking about human relationships, Mm. Um, it's never straightforward, no. you know, um, should never be violent <laughs> for sure. But it's, it just, it's just one of those ones where you go, do you ever stamp it out? I'm not sure you can, but it doesn't mean you throw your hands up and say, we should sure. be doing a lot more. Let's talk about something a little bit more positive before yeah, we no, get to the God. end of this. <laughs> we, went, we went down the rabbit hole of, yeah. of sad stories, mm. but um, important to talk about nonetheless. One of the things that I think is the most amazing characteristic trait in you is you've been able to do what you've done professionally at the highest level, whilst also being a mum, a wife, and doing what looks to be a really good job of life. You know, just just on the full. And one of the things that Ash said to me in the lead up to this was like, she spoke about your personality and how fun you are and how much you love to have a joke and how you are genuinely a human, which we often forget, right? Like we mm. often see for majority of Australia before today, because I know that you haven't been on a lot of podcasts. So a lot of people will see you in your professional field, mm. you know, on the, on the front chair at a current affair out in the field reporting stories and that's you on game day. Yeah. But like you as a human, what does the balance of a life look like outside of work? 
Um, I reckon I'm reckon I'm pr- pretty good at balance, and mm. and I've I've reached that point having spent years of being terrible at it. We're trying to do everything. Um, and I guess now because I work nights and the kids are asleep by the time we get home, um, I've found balance. Like I don't, you know, if you want to know what, what's, what's a great restaurant to go out to in Sydney, don't ask me because I don't go out and don't like to. The weekends, I'm happy to do stuff if we're with the kids. Mm. Um, I really, I don't, you know, I just like hanging with them. They're mm. They're fun kids. I mean, they're pains in the ass at times, of course, as they, as they all are. But, you know, there's there's nothing more that I love than just being at home with my husband and the kids and, you know, and having people around to our house and all those kind of things. So I think just, you know, we've just found that balance of kind of always you're putting them first. Um, and life outside of work is pretty simple. Um, try not to overfill the week um you know one of my favorite moments of the week is you know early in the morning the kids come running in and my poor husband goes now like they never even say hi to him or go to his side of the bed they race they're straight around to me because obviously they haven't seen me the night before and jump in and that that time in the morning where you've got them where they're cuddling up mm. I make the most of that because I know they're going to reach a point where there's nothing that worse than jumping into bed and giving your mum a cuddle um so I hold on to all that stuff at the moment but um life is you know life is pretty good I mean you know there there are definitely times when it kind of you know work gets too busy and and there's stuff going on with where it gets too much but husband and I are pretty good at then just sort of stripping that back in those times and talking about that stuff and you know simplifying Hmm. um so i'm really good at saying no to stuff Um, and that's a hard skill to acquire it's like i was on holidays in december now december as you know is the most crazy month and everyone tries to get in catch-ups before you know before christmas and you know it's typically lots Hmm. of eating and drinking i just said no to absolutely everything in december just like no no i'm available in feb let's catch up in feb I didn't even, I just, I just cleared all of that. Um, and it was, that is something that's taken me, I think, 40 years to, to work out. But I finally got, I finally got it right this, this Christmas, this Christmas breaks and just, um, just saying no to stuff. So you're, without saying where you live, of course, you're Eastern mm-hmm. Suburbs based. Yeah. Does that mean, are you an honorary Chook supporter? these days or is that a no you can't change no because you can't change footy team so like i'm manly i support manly growing up yeah are we manly territory right now we would be right north sydney yeah yeah i mean now well since they got rid of the bears which is going back a while um they think about bringing the bears back yeah they talk about that for years don't they um so manly is my my team and look my husband goes for roosters and um, my, well, my son goes for Panthers. That's because all kids do because they're the team that's won <laughs> for the last few years. And it's like going like, mate, you're better to go. So anyway, I think he's sort of shifted now. He's like half Panthers, half Rabbitohs. So, um, oh God, that's and I like the, the I like the Rabbitohs. I do like the Rabbitohs. God, that's the dark side. You can't say that in your household. Yes, you can. Yeah, because okay. it's just fun. <laughs> uh, so my husband's like AFL family. So okay. they're, they're sort of Swannies. And I remember when we first I wasn't really into I didn't really follow AFL I think just country New South Mm. Wales was always rugby league 
Um, and I said to my husband, like, oh, I better choose a team. And I was with the Today Show then, and we're going around Australia. And I was filling in for Georgie Gardner, so it was years ago. Um, and I rang him going, I think I want to go for West Coast. Because they, like, Swannies. And, like, my husband was dead serious. Like, absolutely not. Like, yeah. I don't think we were married then, but it was just, like, there was, there was no negotiation. There was nothing funny about me even suggesting that maybe West Coast was going to be my team. So, um, anyway, Swannies and, and Manly Sea Eagles. Uh, who do you go for? I'm a Chooks man. Hang on, hang on, you can't. You, you're gone. Okay, the so there's dragons. a good reason. There's a good reason. So when I was born, so my old man was a Steelers supporter originally. Yep. But when I was born, um, Brad Fittler was at the Chooks. And mm. he used to, every point he scored, he'd donate money back to, was either Sydney Children's Hospital or Cystic Fibrosis. Oh, okay. And I was a CF wow. patient at Sydney Children's. Yep. So it was a great reason to barrack for the Chooks. Absolutely. You know what? I'll allow that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And I um, and Freddie's a good I, fellow. He's a, I would love to sit down with Freddie. He's, for me, Brad Fittler was probably the first thing I wanted to be in the world. Either him or Batman is who I thought, <laughs> out I'd, I thought I'd end up becoming. Um, I'm neither. But I'm very oh, happy I don't know. with you my got, life I think you've got a little bit of both in you <laughs> yeah, A little bit of both. And, um, you know, it's funny because two of my best mates now play for the Dragons. Right. And so I'm often torn. Like I went to watch the Anzac Day clash mm. and was sitting with um, some of my mates, Zach Lomax and Blake Laurie. Um, both proud Dragons men and have been Dragons men for their whole career. I was sitting with Zach's friends and family in the stand and with my partner, Soph, who they both grew up in Tamora together. Okay. And I could not help but feel like this is the first time I think I've ever really sat on the fence watching the Chooks game. Wow. And so it's so weird. you weren't wearing Chooks jersey. I wasn't game. You know, How I wasn't game. soft. Come I know, on. seriously. I mean, you got to own it and, just, and cop the abuse that comes with I it. Know. Well, they played later on in the year and Zach kicked the goal to win the game. And I will say it got me out of my chair. I was pretty excited for him. Yeah. So I toe the line as a friend and a loyal Chooks supporter, which um, these days is kind of cloudy on both. So I reckon you can blur the line there. Yeah, you can a That's little allowed. bit. You know, That's you're allowed, allowed to tiptoe on it. So... Mm. How long do you think, like, in a perfect world, how long do you sit as the host of a current affair? I think why you still, why I still love it, why mm. I still can't wait to you know get up and actually go to work, and I legitimately mean that. Um, while I still feel like I can add something to it, you know, and and I think, look, hopefully that's, who knows, maybe it's ten years. Uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe the audience will tell me. Maybe in two years I'm booted and I doubt that. and and we're done. I you know it, it's hard to say. What I I feel very privileged is that every job I've done, I've I've loved. I've never not wanted to go for work to work. Mm. There have been some mornings where the alarm goes off at three a.m. where you just go, what the. Maybe but Carl as soon as you're up, yeah, mainly because I know I'm going to have to sit next to bloody Carl for nearly four hours. <laughs> and um, you know there's. Yeah, I just, I feel so lucky that I genuinely do a job that I love. And my husband talks about it a bit, like he surfs a lot and has all these hobbies and um, I don't have a lot of hobbies. And he goes, well, you've always like, you know, 60 was that, like, you know, you're off and you're swimming with leopard seals mm. and diving into the water in Antarctica. And, you know, like all your adventure came from, has come from your job over the years. 
um, which makes you go, it's a pretty special job that's taking me all over the world that you get invited into people's lounge rooms. They trust you to share their story and, and often we get a great outcome from them. I can't see myself ever getting sick of that, mm. you know, but when but when I reach that point where I feel like I if, if I lose that hunger for it or I don't feel that I feel someone else can contribute more, then maybe it's like, okay. I'll is there a dream on. beyond it or is it just after this sail off into the sunset? I think sail off into the sunset. Do something entirely different. I reckon. Mm. I reckon we've finished this. And as I say, I'm hoping to stick with it for a while. Um, but, um, go back to uni. Start something entirely different, That's entirely cool. new. Um, I'd always consider a co host. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you might get a call sooner rather than later. <laughs> yeah. Um, pretty incredible life, Ali Langdon. Thank pretty you. special. So should be yours. very proud. And you should be too. I appreciate that. Know. I look forward to this next chapter in your life too. You are so... Very exciting. Hopefully a couple of kiddies. Ostermere. Love it. And maybe I'll take up surfing again. You should. How good. (laughs) Hey, it's been such a pleasure. Thanks for making the time. No worries. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.